Hey everybody, welcome to episode 76 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam and I'm joined by Dave yet again. How's it going? Alright, how about you? You know, honestly, if we're going to speak honestly, Dave, I'm really <laughs> tired. My body is, my body is tired. But That's what you get for exercising. Well... Hopefully in a lower heart rate. That's that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the goal. And maybe, you know, the lower uh weight as well, but I'm not getting my hopes up. But anyways, we're back. And uh we're recording a few days late. Um those of you that are listening to this out of time really probably don't care. But for the regular <laughs> listeners, uh we had to reschedule this week because I had an infant CPR class this week at the hospital in preparation for our baby. And one of the interesting things, you know, not to mention the whole like life-saving part of it, mm-hmm. is that you could kind of tell all the dudes were feeling out, like, is it okay to make jokes? Do I have to be super <laughs> serious? Is my wife going to, you know, shoot me the death look if I make a, a silly comment? You know, just trying to feel like, are the teachers super serious? Are they, like, the first, like, ten minutes, you could kind of tell the guys are, like, fiddling with the fake babies, you know, <laughs> trying to behave. It was, I think it's one of those, like, man things. Like, I have to prove to the other guys that... I'm here because I want to be, not because my wife made me come, so I'm going to act all cool and loose when totally our wives all made us come to that class. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, never had to do CPR, but I did. Both my children choked at some point. So Yeah, and one of the um, nurses that was teaching the class, he said that, he goes, chances of you having to use CPR, really low chances of you having to do the choke stuff guaranteed it will happen and i was like oh okay <laughs> and, and so we spent all this time on cpr and then at the very like last five minutes the yeah. one thing that i'm guaranteed to have to use but that was frightening the whole like the, i was more scared about the choking thing because you like hold the kid on their stomach and you like beat the middle of their shoulder blades at the heel of your hand just this is really violent. Yes, and that's and exactly. I did that to both my girls. I grabbed them, and actually, do you not point them at the ground anymore? You, yeah, you okay. like you have them, you know. So use gravity. So you hit them like this, and then you're supposed to flip them over and hit, pump their chest a few times, and flip them back over and hit their. Yeah, I I, I remember hitting. I mean, uh-huh. giving a good whack to both my, and it works. It worked. Yeah, use gravity to your, uh, you know, advantage there. So. You know, not only are you going to learn about Jesus this episode, <laughs> you now know how to save a baby. Did Don't say we, uh, we never helped you out. Did you have to find the xiphoid process? That sounds like a really bad sci-fi novel. <laughs> they didn't the, make you do that? What? No, I've never even heard that word before. Maybe that's just a fun grown-ups. Maybe babies don't have those. The xiphoid process? I think that's what it is. Is that the... Thing that cartil- breaks off. Yeah, the cartilage is done. Yeah, he called it something. Maybe it was that. He said, you want to make sure that you're pressing up near the nipple like line. Because in a baby, you can break that off. Which is just like, also frightening. Yes. So. Well, and it is xiphoid process. Small. I'm not even going to try to say that. Lower part of the sternum. <laughs> Made a cartilage. Uh, and when you do CPR on adults, particularly old adults, it's disgusting. 
the ribs really go. <laughs> it's like that first couple times you're doing the. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Well, that's been this week in <laughs> medicine. It's not even really Dave. medicine. It's this week in weird bodily name. I can't even talk. I'm so tired. <laughs> oh, poor Cam. Oh, no, not at all. I don't even know what tired is. Talk to me in a month yeah, and a half. that's true. <laughs> I want to be able to string together complex thoughts. <clears throat> but anyways, I suppose we should move on from this um, intro. I don't know. Our ramblings. Yes. We, uh, we're going to finish the Parable of the Tenants. We started it last episode. And we got up through verse 39, and we're going to do the back half of that same parable um, today. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm -hmm. Would you briefly recap what happens in the first half of this? Sure. Um, Jesus starts off by acknowledging that this is a parable. And he says, uh, tells about. Uh, a landowner that uh, planted a vineyard, and based on the description, it's a very involved. Uh, all the all the things needed for it to be a successful vineyard are there. There's a tower. There's a wine press. There's a hedge around it for protection. And when uh, the fruit comes in, the landowner sends his servant to uh, get the fruit, the harvest. And so uh, the tenants beat up the multiple servants that he sends to them. And then finally he, the landowner decides that he will send his son and surely they will listen to his son. And they beat him up and kill him. So plot twist. Yeah. And and it really was because the disciples and the people who are hearing this did not have the Bible and did not know. <laughs> well, they didn't have the New Testament. They did not know what we know now. And that a uh, um, couple of different things there. Um, and I don't know if this is the first time, but it's it's a very it, Jesus basically says I mean basically when when he makes the parallel of the landowner sending his son he's making that parallel of I'm the son of God and then also the uh, foretelling of his crucifixion of his death that's where we left off all right so with that in mind uh, I'll go ahead and read the passage this week that would be great mix it up a little bit. The parable continues, uh, When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. 
When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was talking about them. They're so smart. And although uh, they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So, this is the end of the story. Mm -hmm. And it comes to a rather, uh, not shocking, but uh, I would say um, rough conclusion for the tenets. Mm -hmm. And um, here's one of the things that that Jesus often does in, in these sorts of parables is that he tells the story, and then he asks the logical question of, well, what would happen to these people? You know, much the same um, when, uh, who was the prophet when David was king? Was it Samuel or Nathan? I think it was Nathan. Well, well it was both of them, kind of, right? Yeah, Samuel was kind of on the front end. And Nathan was on the back end. And then... So is Nathan the one that told the story to David, and David is like, oh my gosh, and then yeah. he's like, it is you. In in very much that same vein, Jesus asked the question, the Pharisees, because they're super smart, make the logical response, and then turns out, you just condemned yourself because you're not as smart as you think you are. You're kind of dumb, actually. Yes. And I mean, it, it, the other thing is, is he's, there's there's this element of Jesus knows he's going to die. And it's sort of like, that's not even the bad part of the story. You know, it's like, yeah, it, it, I haven't even thought about that. It, um, and I kind of lost track of tra- tra- my thought there, but just, just ultimately there's, there's just sense of he knows he's going to die really doesn't kind of dwell on that. He kind of almost passes over that. And then there is the second half of, and this is what's going to happen to you. And kind of makes you scratch your head because it's like, well, they knew that he was talking about them and they feared him to the point that they did nothing at that time because they were, the the crowd saw him as a prophet. And it's like, there's this, this, this disconnect of they get it, but they don't get it. Well, yeah. And it's, um, it's false conviction. Oh yeah. That's what it is. That's true. Because they, they feel this way about him, but then they don't have the chutzpah uh-huh. to go through with it because of how they're going to be perceived by the crowd. The crowd holds him in high esteem, so we're just not we're gonna we're going to um, give in to our ego essentially and save face with the crowd because we need the crowd in order to maintain our position, you know, yeah. as the the religious leadership and the ones that control, you know, all the stuff that that Jesus was was rallying against when he flipped the tables and everything like that. And so I find it um and then you you add to that the fact that they had this sort of um just I trial in in serious air quotes where they sneak they sneak up on him while he's praying in a garden, they carry him off, have this, you know, uh What's the phrase that often gets used for the trial? Like a monkey or an elk? Well, if you're if you're (laughs) listening and you know what I'm talking about, the name of it's like a monkey trial or elephant trial or. But there's like some like descriptor for the I don't don't remember. Not important. (laughs) But they hatch this plan that like okay, we want to arrest him. 
Later on, we want to kill them, but we don't want to do it when people are around because we want to save face. And so they have this secret trial. They condemn him to death, and they get the crowd all hooped up and, you know, going. And it's just the whole thing is just really pathetic. Mm-hmm. That's where I was trying to get with that whole long thing. It was, it's pathetic when I see people or when I do it myself where I have my convictions. I know um what i believe whether it's right or wrong but then i don't follow through on my convictions because of how i will be perceived regardless of whether i'm right or wrong or um anything like that it's a it's a matter of how i will be perceived by the people that i deem are important mm-hmm. and i think one of the things that jesus gets to in, you know, just the the grand scheme of his ministry is constantly reminding us that the only person that really matters in our lives is God and our relationship with him and our standing with him and what, you know, he has done for us and what we are in his eyes. And if that relationship is right, as Jesus, you know, came to do is to make that relationship right, then we should have the freedom to act on our convictions because the only person that matters in judging those convictions is God. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard because, you know, one of the um, things that gets confirmed in our lives over and over and over again is that the the, the opinions of other people matter you know how many um friends you have how many people like your instagram photo how many people like the way that you dress or you know, all of that stuff mm-hmm. and you know in a world where we're constantly reminded that you know the opinions of the important people matter it's it's tough to remember sometimes that god's opinion matters more than anything else and our convictions should be tied to what he deems to be true and right and not what is popular this month absolutely yes forgot to breathe there for a little bit (laughs) yeah and that's i mean it's easy to get um focused on the wrong things and get things out of order and well i feel like that's Satan is not stupid. No. He's very clever. And oftentimes his big attack is just taking your focus oh, yeah. and shifting it like five degrees. Or or causing a little doubt to creep in or throwing in a little justification. Like when even with Adam and Eve, is that what God really said? Mm-hmm. I think it's because he doesn't want you to be like him. Just two short little sentences and the downfall of mankind happened. So it's a combination of him being very clever and him understanding that that focus and acceptance are very easily um, manipulated in us. And it's also us being vain, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so often, like, we're... You know, I'm guarded against like the big, the big sins. I don't want to, I don't want to have an affair. I don't want to murder anyone. I don't want to, you know, do anything that I deem to be truly awful. But it's the little stuff where 
Satan's like, meh, if you fudge that, who's going to know? Right. And, it's like, and that's the stuff that God's like, that's what I care about. I mean, obviously, he cares about the big ones. Obviously. But his his care for those small areas of my life is the same as it is for those big ones. Whereas for me, it's like, the curve is steep down to like, yeah, it's, you know, no one's going to know if I, you know, uh, you know, fudge this area or if I cut the corners. I mean, really, that, that does matter. That really, really matters because that shows my true character, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I just, I guess I have this sense of what you're describing to me is sin, for me, is sin management. You know, it's, it's very much the, um, I, I, I'm very, I'm very careful about like what I allow myself to do and not do. And it's like you said, I, you know, don't do the quote unquote big sins, uh, because that would make me look bad. And so those are really easy for me to keep. And, and the reality is, is it's like, it's impossible for me, uh, to do any of that. And it's really about just the sin that's in my life. And um, I, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but I just, I, I, I've noticed places where, you know, I, I just, I, I consistently put myself and my, my comfort ahead of others. And again, I, I think a lot of the choices that we make or things that we choose are not in themselves sinful or evil, but when we're choosing them instead of God, or we're choosing them to be the thing that gives us peace, is our stress relief, you know, things like that, when really we should be dependent on God for those things, they, they do become uh, sinful. And, I, you know, I wasn't planning on doing this, but like... Um, I haven't I haven't had uh, alcoholic beverage in a few weeks, and um, I don't believe I'm an alcoholic. I don't even think I'm remotely close to it. But I was just convicted that when I was stressed out, my way of dealing with stress was to drink a few beers. You know, I wasn't drunk. I didn't. You know, but I was. I I know I was doing it because it would it would it was the quickest way for me to relax when I was stressed out. You know, and uh, I love beer. Like, I genuinely can say that I love beer. And vast majority of the time when I'm drinking beer, my end goal is not to get a buzz. It's, I enjoy the taste. I enjoy much about beer. Um, and I found myself getting to this place where that had, that had changed. I was, I was drinking it because of what it was that it would do for me. And I just was convicted that that was sin for me. Um, I have every intention of drinking beer again sometime. Um, but it had become the thing that I was turning to to relieve my stress when really I should be t- turning to God to relieve my stress. And um, the stress that was in my life for that particular period was uh, work-related. And I don't, I don't even know what the timetable is for me on this. It's just one of those things. So, true confessions from Dave there that I didn't <laughs> didn't intend to go into. But as I just was thinking about this, I'm like, well, this is what I'm talking about. This mm-hmm. is this is a you know a practical example for me. And 
I just felt like there was an element of God just going, if I'm important to you, you can, you know, you can give it up. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So, yeah, I think that, um, along those lines, um, it, when you, when you said, you know, the, the, uh, sin management line, you know, obviously that brings me back to the divine conspiracy and Dallas Willard always being smart and right. Must have been hard. Um, <laughs> But this idea that when we get, you know, caught up in that, like to your point, your focus was on the quick relief or the, um, what had been just something that you enjoyed became something else. Mm -hmm. And it, and it kind of grew into, into something that you were like, yeah, probably, you know, should take a break. And I think for me it's i get so caught up in not focusing on my relationship with god but focusing on how i'm failing him or trying to ignore what i know is wrong like i get so caught up in playing the shell game mm -hmm. of like that i don't even think about like how not even how it's affecting my relationship with him but my relationship with him doesn't even come up in the, how am I going to fix this? Why do I feel this way? Why am I doing this? You know? And so I get so focused on my control over the situation or how I feel like, no, the sin's not controlling me. I'm in charge. You know, look at me. I'm a big man, that sort of stuff. When my initial thought should be my relationship with God and focusing on that mm -hmm. and letting him either sort it out for me or letting him say, you need to do this mm -hmm. instead of me trying to keep all the plates spinning, you right. know? Yep. And I don't know what that's about for me. Um, I think part of it is probably like, well, if I just don't ever talk to him, then he can't convict <laughs> me, which is ridiculous because he doesn't, you know, need a face-to-face -face meeting to remind me you know, that I'm a sinner. Uh, he, he has, you know, that, that, that Holy spirit person just always there. Just right here. Hey, what you doing? Kim? Um, so yeah, I think, I think my, my biggest hurdle and something that I, I, I want to change is, is to, is my focus to be on my relationship with God and what that looks like. Cause frankly, that sucks lately. Mm -hmm. and not necessarily worrying about the issues, but getting back to a place where I feel good about God and um, our, our relationship. Because then, you know, if I feel like I'm at least getting closer to, to being centered, mm -hmm. A little crap, you know, like it's just a little crap, and he's big enough to handle all of it, and I don't have to. Did not think we'd wind up here, no. <laughs> <laughs> especially based on on this passage. Just, but, but I mean, it it makes sense why we're why we're talking about this. Um, let's jump back into the specific verses, though. Maybe that will help us continue to flesh out these these thoughts that we're having. Um, he says in verse forty two. 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, so he kind of changes metaphors here. Real quickly, and then he kind of ties it all up there at the end. Um, so we start out with the vineyard and God being the, the uh, vineyard owner, Jesus the Son coming to the people that were tending the vineyard, he gets killed. Right, we've covered this. But now the, he, he turns to a building metaphor. And it seems as if, if I'm reading this correctly, that the builders are offered a stone to use as the cornerstone of the building. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the builders decide, no, we want to choose our own cornerstone. Doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with the one they were given, but they decided for whatever reason, we want to build the building on our own cornerstone. So we're going to reject this one. Turns out that uh, that rejected stone has become the cornerstone. And, and, uh, you know, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, the cornerstone was the first stone laid and it was what the building was built off of correct yes and there was very much an effort to find a square cornerstone so that everything was true everything was true off of it and so yeah for them to say well we're going to reject this one i think it just again goes through what we talk about with jesus when it comes to the chief priests and the pharisees and the religious people of his day what he thought was true and square and correct and right is not what they saw. And so I think it's just the same thing again of, you know, really even I think back to what you and I were even talking about of just this worrying about the outward appearance, worrying about the, what I can do to be a good person, what I can do to be in right standing with God. And the reality is, is just, can't do it it's it's we are just absolutely completely dependent on grace and you know i would say that in my journey as a christian that i always thought well grace is the thing that brings you to jesus and i'm very much like this oh my gosh i so need this every freaking day (laughs) and yeah no it doesn't bring you it keeps you like it's (laughs) yeah it is the the ultimate medicine for our particular disease. Yes. And uh, just as, as I was, um, you know, reading about the, the cornerstone and the building and the idea of, of building your, uh, you, you're, you're building off of this one foundational stone. It then brings up the, you know, uh, the wise man built his house upon the rock. And I think that's how that song goes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the story where one one person built their house on a solid foundation and then one person didn't and when the storm came they both got hit and the one that built its house on the solid foundation stood and the one that didn't crumbled you know and i just i often wonder if at some point jesus thought how can they not get it yet? Like I have told this to you so many different ways. I can't even think of another way to tell you. <laughs> mm. I've used every metaphor, you know, that I can. I've, I've, you have put the logic together yourself and answered the questions correctly. And yet you still will not see the truth. Um, and it's easy for me to point at the, the, Pharisees, I'm like, God, you guys are such idiots. How do you not see it? And then I can turn around and do something <laughs> equally as stupid and never see 
the hypocrisy or irony that I, too, am dumb like a Pharisee most of the time. Especially when you consider how well-educated I am in this area. Like, it, it, the, the shirt fits uh, all, all too well. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that he switched metaphors here. But as again, a, it's just a, an apt, easy-to-understand metaphor. I gave you the cornerstone to build off of the perfect cornerstone to build off of. And you thought, nah, I can do it better, which pretty much I think sums up all the problems with humanity is no, I can do it better. Even though the person you're talking to is a master architect and you can't even build anything with a Lego set. Like, like the, the hubris involved with looking at God and saying, no, I got it. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Is bordering on insane, I say. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. So then he spells it out for him as if they, they don't get mm-hmm. it yet. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. I'm going to take it away from you because clearly you don't understand what you have and clearly you're not using what I've given you. And I'm going to go give it to someone who's already doing kingdom work. So essentially, he's saying, You had the opportunity, you squandered it, you are continuing on in the ways of the temple and the law uh, as you see it, while these other people that you condemn because they don't do it your way, are actually doing things the way they're done in the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to go give them the cornerstone. You guys have a nice day. Yeah. Like, it's the ultimate slam, if you think about it. This is the established priesthood that has the truth memorized, written, copied, over, taught, all the time. And not only... Did they miss what they had? But unbeknownst to them, right underneath their probably upturned noses, and are people that are doing it the way that God intended it. And so, at once, they they lose their credibility with God. They lose their credibility with the people, mm-hmm. even though that's the very thing they were afraid of. Which is why they didn't do anything because they thought the crowds would turn on them. And they need the crowd's approval so that they can sleep good at night. <laughs> yeah. And again, I need people's approval so I can sleep good at night. So I'm not like attacking them as I'm better. It's just when you see it spelled out for you, when someone else is the subject matter, it's a lot easier to see the truth. Just like the Pharisees here talking about some, you know, uh, hypothetical vineyard. Oh, yeah, 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 we can answer the question right, but as soon as it becomes about them, all of a sudden their blinders come back on and their brains stop working. They go, nope, we're good. I got this. And I, just, I don't understand why we're that way. I don't get it. I wonder what, I just, what, what makes us different than, than the Pharisees? I mean, is it, is it the fact that we go, okay, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm dependent on his grace? Because we behave the same way that they do. And, I mean, uh, verse 43 says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and give to it, uh, given to a people producing its fruit. Um, so I guess in essence I'm asking, 
what is producing its fruit. What does that mean? What does it mean? Because he's saying, I'm taking it away and I'm giving it to the ones producing its fruit. I would venture a guess uh, as to the fruits of the Spirit would be evident in your life, mm-hmm. first of all. Uh, secondarily, I think um, to produce the fruit of heaven is to bring grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation into the world. In the name of God, of course, not just to be nice. But I think, I mean, I think that those are some evident examples that fruit of the kingdom is being produced. I don't think it means that your church is big. I don't think it means that you wrote a best-selling book or, you know, or that you even have a podcast about Jesus. Like, I don't think any of those things are necessarily indicative of of producing kingdom fruit. I think it's much more simple than that. Mm-hmm. Because I, 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 I guess I'm sort of leaning towards this, it being... I'm leaning towards it being this element of us just being dependent on his gr- like I don't think there's anything we can do. I mean, I don't there's there's it's not up to us whatsoever. And is it just simply allowing his grace to work in our life? Is it I mean, cuz I can't create love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, yeah, no, I, I wasn't I wasn't saying that we create them. I'm saying that if if we possess those things, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit has built those into our character. Mm-hmm. You know, as we have grown in our knowledge of God and our love for Him and all all of that, I think if those things are evident in our life, it's proof that God is working there. Mm-hmm. It's not because I I read the Bible so many times that you know my my uh, points in the grace bar went up and I got to level up. You know. Yes. Um, it's it's proof that God is working in me. And then if outwardly I show grace, mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation with enemies, that again is proof of God's work in me and in those people. Mm-hmm. Which is why I said, it doesn't matter if you write a book, it doesn't matter if you have a pot. Like The outward things that we can do and control, those those are not proof that God is at work within us, right? Those are just things that we've done. Right. And, you know, for all the world knows, me and you could be two of the worst people on the planet and just have oh. a podcast about Jesus to try and make up for it. You know what I mean? Like, just because we have a podcast doesn't mean that God is necessarily working in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a podcast. Anyone can do it. Yes. And I, I think this is this is where... Um, well, I'm I'm gonna throw this out there. I don't even think it's about believing the right thing, and this is like kind of the, like I guess sort of what I'm 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 wrestling with because I think there's this element within Christians of if you just believe the right thing, and and the right thing to believe is is that Jesus is the Son of God. If you just believe that, then you're saved. And well, first I'm going to throw out there James 18 uh, through 20. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. A little bit about what we're talking about here. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You believe well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so, and that's actually verse 19, not verse 20. 
demons believe the right thing. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that he came to earth and took on human flesh, and they believe all the right things. And I think the Pharisees, to a certain extent, believed the right things. But there's just, there was like this disconnect between, and I, I, like, I'm still wrestling with this in my head. So if I'm not making any sense, I apologize. Um, yeah, there's a disconnect between what they knew and how they acted. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah, yeah. And okay, so brief church history here. I wonder, oh boy. Okay, I'm going to preface these thoughts with I'm, this is, Stream of conscious thinking. So and if I say if I say too. anything terribly her, her, heretical, her, heretical, yeah, uh, please forgive me and let me know. Um, but when you know uh, the Protestant Church started, you know it, it started for a lot of reasons. People, you know, the Catholic Church charging money to you know make sure that people got into heaven, which is just ludicrous. Um, but I feel like one of the things about Catholicism that is attractive to me is I you do things. You go to confessional. Mm-hmm. You you stand and you kneel. You stand and you kneel. You recite the liturgies. You have the the daily uh prayers and scripture readings. You have the Hail Marys. Like the 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 act of doing those things. I th- I think hopefully the intent was to help us connect what we believe and what we know with how we act. Mm-hmm. To make them to try and physically represent what we believe. Maybe that's why Catholics have crucifixes and Protestants just have crosses. The physical reminder, yeah, Jesus actually died here. This actually happened. This was a real guy beaten and bloodied and crucified. And I, as someone who grew up in a Protestant house, mostly Baptist, everything was theoretical. Sermons, like, I feel like the reason a lot of people that grow up in Protestant churches want like formulaic answers is because they never had anything physical, like the connection between a sermon on Sunday and how I act at work on a Wednesday. You never get taught that stuff that there's no practical application. If we're going to use a preacher's term, even though all sermons should be practical and applicable, there was never a, for me, a physical or practical connection. You just kind of figure it out. And and so much of what gets taught is theory, really. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if in the Protestant-Catholic um, split, if perhaps maybe we lost something as far as the connection of biblical principles of godly truth and a physical connection to them that helps us remember why we believe what we believe and what we believe. Just a thought. I don't know if that has any credence or whatever, but I yeah, I, well, absolutely. I think it does. And, um, I, I wonder a little bit too, if, um, you know, there, there have been a lot of just difficult times throughout history, you know, and I feel like that is history. It's just yeah, one big difficult time. It's just time. one just big difficult time. And so, you know, I kind of look at the garbage that's going on in our world today, and it, 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 we feel, it feels to me like our nation is divided. 
um, and not just like blue and red. It seems like it's divide. Like there's even divisions amongst Christians, or you know, there's just there's there's all these um, divisions, and I I wonder what the next generation what they're going to do, and I guess in a roundabout way, I'm responding to what you're saying is that. I think there's, I hope for my children is that the church, um, well, this is what, what pops into my head. The, the church quits worrying about being relevant. <laughs> and, uh, because, because, so true, so true. Because, gosh, I feel like I'm just, just vomiting all over. Like mental vomit it's here. Okay, I've got a poncho on. You're fine. <laughs> uh, because even the word you use, application, isn't really even the same as relevant. Like application to me, yeah, there needs to be application of my faith, and and I need to get get things from the church that have application to my life, and um. So I I wonder if maybe that for one of the things that like millennials, the next generation, if we don't see liturgy come back, if we don't see, and it has in certain denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, I read an article. Says a few years ago because I was still working at the church, and there was an article saying a lot of people that were my age. This was probably back when I was like twenty five, mm-hmm. twenty six were going back to the Catholic Church or to um, the more liturgical uh, Protestant denominations, um, like Episcopalian, Catholic Light, as Robin Williams called it, um, <laughs> because they they enjoyed and they felt the benefits of the liturgy, the um, recitation, the... Um, uh, Rigidity is totally not the word I'm looking for. The um, structure? Yes, the structure that it provides. Because I think a lot of people that are my age grew up in the... Everyone that's my age grew up in the 90s, Dave. Not just some of us. All of us (laughs) did. (laughs) That's crazy. But it was such a change in church culture in America. Willow Creek happened, you know, like became a thing. And then you had, um, so it was like the decade of the mega churches, Saddleback, mm-hmm. out like, and then, like even in my own church growing up, we went from being called Ebenezer Baptist Church with a German speaking service to Grace Community Church, no longer Baptist, but you know, feel good community, want to be mega church essentially, and I don't think that they were wrong in their decisions for switching, but I think that that was indicative of the times of what church was. And it was so warm and fuzzy and uh, like pie in the sky theory stuff. We sing fun songs with an electronic drum kit, you know, cause we're cool and we're hip and we want to be relevant. But I just, I understand why people my age are seeking that sort of structure and that sort of tie to the ancientness of our faith right? That brings us back to how things used to be before lights and smoke machines and concerts 
for worship took over. There's there's something appealing about that. Because when I go to a church nowadays, I don't f- necessarily feel like, based on what I see and what I experience, that Christianity's been around for over 2,000 years. Everything oh. is so modern and so uh, slick. And yeah, it just it doesn't feel ancient or mysterious or um, appealing in a way that reciting a creed from, you know, 1500 years ago. I was like, Oh man, people have been saying this for a really, really long time. I am, I am now connecting with something that people over a millennium have been saying and affirming about Mm -hmm. God. Like that's powerful. Yeah. You know, um, I, I feel like I default to church bashing and that's not what I'm, I'm going to say what people say. I listen to a lot of nerd tech podcasts Mm -hmm. and some of them are Apple focused. And they often say the reason we're so hard on Apple is because we love what they make and we love how their products make us feel. And when they don't deliver, we have strong opinions on it because it's something that we truly care about. We're not just being jerks. And I feel like if I'm ever church bashing on the show, it's not because I hate the church. It's because I love the church and what it stands for, and I want to see it be better. Mm-hmm. It's 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 said out of a desire to see the church be what God intended it to be, and not what you know Bill Hybels thinks it should be. Nothing against Bill. I went to a Global Leadership Summit last year. Great teacher, man of God, but I just I feel like it's missing for me, anyways. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know where that all came from, Dave. Hopefully it made sense. Yes. I keep remembering to breathe, too. I get all excited, and I stop blinking. And All right. Anything else? No. All right. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> I think we've officially uh, run this one into the ground. Um, listeners, thank you so much for listening to episode 76 of the masterclass. We still think, I mean, we've done 76 of these now and I don't know about you. I still think it's really cool that people listen like that just is cool to me. Um, and I, and, and I appreciate it. And I know Dave does too. If you want to share your thoughts, um, with us, we'd love to hear, especially about this whole church liturgy, physical, like the thoughts we had on the physical, I, I can't even, I want to know what you think. Yeah. And so does Dave. Yeah, and, and and gosh, I'm not going to go too far down this, but I I know I was kind of brought up in this the church tradition of you pray the prayer, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and boom, you're saved, you're a Christian, and just sort of this element of well, you prayed the prayer, you're a Christian. I that is what I guess what what I'm sort of wrestling with, and um, I'm I'm curious as to what people's what. You know, what is your definition of Christian? What evidence is there? What is the quote unquote fruit that proves or proves? I don't know if that's the word I want to use, but what's the fruit that demonstrates that you're a, a, a Christian? And I, I'm curious as to what other people think that would be. Um, and have others wrestled with that thought of this is what it means to be a Christian. So, yeah, we uh, we look forward to hearing. Um, your thoughts. And in order to share your thoughts with us, 
you yes. can. Uh, this one might require an email. <laughs> so yes, we'll, say, yes. we'll say that one first. It's hello at supermegacorp.net. And then if you want to talk to Dave or I on Twitter, you can do so. Uh, Dave is at 10.8HBO, or H the only number, and I'm at Cam Brennan, C-A-M-B-R-E-N-N-A-N. I always forget how much ends I have in my name. That's, <laughs> that's a lot, considering that my first name is actually Cameron. There's an N there, too. That's crazy. Yep, bet you really wanted to know that, didn't you? Okay, we're going to sign off now. Bye. Bye.